Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. I'm Greg McEwen, and I'm your host for the What's Essential podcast. I'm also the author of Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less, and my goal is to decode exactly how to design a life that really matters, because if you don't prioritize your life, someone else will. If you're new to the show, take a deep breath. Almost everything is trivial. Only a few things are essential, and that's what this show is all about. My job is to interview, get deep really with authors, entrepreneurs, psychologists, and everyday people to help explore what's essential. Through a process of listening, unpacking, and going deep with each guest, we turn each episode into practical advice for intentionally planning and living in order to move forward. So now to today's episode with Dr. Ethan Cross, the author of Chatter, The Voice in Our Head, Why It Matters, and how to harness it. I mean, the truth is that we all have a voice in our head. We talk to ourselves. We often hope to tap into our inner coach, but find our inner critic instead. When we're facing a tough task, our inner coach can boy us up. Focus, you can do this. But just as often, our inner critic sinks us entirely. I'm going to fail. They'll all laugh at me. What's the use? Listen to this episode. If you want to have some practical insights to be able to tune into that inner coach, to the voice that really will guide you and help you to be able to figure out what's true and essential. And if you'd like to kick the inner critic out, to be able to to manage that tension better and to be able to, therefore, live a life that really matters. So here we go. Dr. Ethan Cross, the author of a really important new book, Chatter, The Voice in Our Head, Why It Matters, and How to Harness It. Let me officially welcome you to the What's Essential podcast. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having Greg. I'm a big fan. Happy to be here. Um, that's nice. That's a nice thing to say, big fan. Now I'm, now I'm curious about that. So <laughs> how familiar are you with essentialism? I think I'm pretty familiar. I've read, I've read the book, um, and I've listened to you. So whether you're going to roll out the test, what grade I get, we'll see. But I'm, but the argument certainly resonates. And so let me stop there. Although, although you know, in your opening, you, you mentioned something that I would love to come back to at some point. No, go. What, what is it that I mentioned do you want to come back to? You mentioned that, that you were struggling today with being an essentialist. And I detected there a little bit of of discomfort, knowing that you're, you yourself are struggling. And, and what was striking to me about that admission, Greg, is that we've in our lab, um, we've studied something called Solomon's Paradox, and it forms a foundation for a lot of, of what I talk about in Chatter and a lot of the research we've done. And in, in essence, what Solomon's Paradox is about is the idea that human beings in general are much better at giving advice to other people and offering sound advice to other people about how they should act when they have problems, we're not as good as following that own advice ourselves. So there's this fundamental disconnect that we often experience when advising other people versus ourselves. And of course, there are ways of of advising ourselves more effectively, but it just struck me that your example was a great illustration of that. In your research on the Solomon's paradox, is there is it inherently a negative? Is it just, wow, look at that. We, uh, we can give advice, but we're not as good at doing it, which I think is a totally real phenomenon. 
and one that I think I do struggle with? Or, or is there also an upside to it where it's like we need each other because actually we are genuinely better at giving advice. And if we give advice to other people, it is more likely to be accurate and will help them in the same way that we need other people to look at our lives with a bit more perspective and help us. How do you think about Solomon's paradox? I think you frame it really well. I think, you know, other people can be an incredible tool for helping us manage our inner noise, so to speak. The trick is to to be deliberate about who you seek out for advice. One of the an, another another really interesting phenomenon that we see play out time and again is often pe- when people are experiencing chatter. So and what chatter is, refers to is the negative cycle of thoughts and feelings we experience when we introspect to try to find solutions to our problems. So the ability to introspect is this amazing, amazing gift. And you certainly, uh, you know, I've, I've, re- I've heard you talk about this capacity, right? We need to preserve time in our lives to think about what really matters. The issue that we often see playing out is that when people are under stress, or dealing with really important high stakes decisions, their attempts to introspect, to find solutions to their problems, often just lead them to spin. They worry, they ruminate, they catastrophize in ways that that make the problems worse and don't provide clear solutions. So that's what chatter is. And other people can be really helpful in, in bringing us out of those chatter episodes of giving us the bigger picture, the broader perspective, but, but not everyone does that for us. So I like to tell people to be deliberate about who they, who they choose to go for support when they find themselves stuck in these chatter states. I love the phrase chatter episodes. Uh, I think that's something that most people can relate to when they get into sort of a spiral of thinking, some sort of stuck pattern that either just repeats itself like a song that's stuck in your head that you wish wasn't, or even becomes a negative spiral where one thought leads to another more negative thought leads to another. And there's this downward pressure until, I don't know, until unchecked, it can become a, a, a hugely negative episode. But you become completely flooded. Uh, you can become you know, deeply unhappy and very quickly due to this pattern. How do you distinguish between the sort of different kinds of chatter episodes? You know, chatter episodes exist on a continuum from, from the kinds of getting stuck in, in thought and not being able to think about anything else that I think is part and parcel of daily life for many people to full-blown episodes of chatter that last weeks and months that get us into the clinical territory. You mentioned Greg, that that chatter can have some really negative consequences. I like to break it down into into three territories. Uh, you know, the one thing that happens when we experience chatter is it makes us it makes it hard for us to to think and perform well. So, have you ever had the experience of having a problem on your mind and, and trying to read a book, and and you ever get to the point where you read two pages and then you think, God, I, I don't actually know what I just read. I can't remember a thing. Has that ever happened to you? Oh, it happens to me often. Uh, I would say, I would say, there's not really a day that I'm reading where there isn't a <laughs> point 
which I am reading a paragraph and I think, oh, I, I don't know what I just read. And sometimes, sometimes I think, oh, that's not good. You, you're, you're distracted. And sometimes I think there's like a positive chatter. And I don't think that's probably the right phrase because I think chatter is it's it's such a clever you know word for you to have chosen. Um, you know, that names something I think we all are familiar with on, a, on, a, on the sort of unhelpful side. But I think there is this other voice that's a helpful, if I say distraction, it's, it's actually as you're reading, something comes to you and, and now you're reflecting on something else, even as you're technically going through the words on the page. And sometimes I think you have to pay attention to those things that you're being pulled to because it's actually maybe even enlightened thoughts. They're good thoughts. They're, you know, inspiring thoughts. And, and I'm sure we'll get to it, but I'm curious about how you think about this internal voice. Do, do you make allowance for these two voices inside? Absolutely. So the inner voice is not good or bad. It has both manifestations. We spend between a third and a half of our, of our waking hours not being in the moment, not being present. Instead, we are lost in thought. We're planning, we're fantasizing, we're simulating future events. And all of those qualities are amazing strengths that make human beings unique. And that I would argue make many successful people really successful, this ability to harness this capacity to, to introspect and, and to like you're saying, Greg, to also listen to that voice. And so, you know, like I, for example, will, when I'm, when I'm struggling with a, a difficult problem at work and, and by problem, I mean, not, not an interpersonal problem, but just a, a, an analytic issue that I'm having trouble seeing through, I'll often just go for a walk in the park by, by my house and just let the thoughts go. What usually ends up happening is solutions and thoughts and ideas pop into a head, many of which can be really useful. But that's an example of this positive side to introspection at play. Uh, I, for one, would not want to live a life without this capacity. I think it's one of the things that um, has allowed me to accomplish things uh, in my life. The dark side of introspection is when this tool that we possess that is so amazingly helpful, when it is occupied instead with a problem that we keep on spinning over, we are worried about, we're ruminated about, and so forth, all of that energy that is typically devoted towards solving problems and having moments of insight and so forth instead gets occupied by spinning, by ruminating and worrying. And so that makes, that's one of the ways that uh, chatter can undercut our ability to think and perform well in our jobs and, and at work. So, so this idea of chatter from your perspective is a good servant, but a poor master. I haven't thought about it that way. Yeah, it, it can be. Although I, I tend to use the term chatter for the negative side of, of the inner voice in particular. What words do you give to the positive side? I think that's the ability to adaptively reflect on your life. So chatter is 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 negative self-reflection, if you will. Positive self-reflection is is creative mm. thinking. So let's just be practical with this. If somebody listening to this 
I'm sure literally every person listening to this feels at some time this idea of chatter, this feeling of, um, of being stuck in a thought pattern, uh, being negative about a situation they're faced in, in a way that's not helpful, uh, not leading them in a, in a useful direction. They're reflecting in a, in a negative way. What are, let's choose like three really practical things that someone can do to either snap out of it or you know, shift into a more helpful state? What can someone practically do? So I like to divide these tools into three buckets, things you could do on your own, ways of, of um, interacting with other people to get chatter support, and then ways of interacting with the physical world around us. And so let me give you an example of each one. And then we can go deeper if you like. In, in terms of things that you can do on your own, you just mentioned how powerful language can be and giving things names can be for, for helping people make sense of their lives. And so one, one, interestingly, one of the strategies that we've looked at in the lab is something called distance self-talk. And what it involves is coaching yourself through a problem using your own name and you rather than thinking in the first person using I. So if I'm struggling with something, I might literally talk to myself silently in my head. That's an important caveat, not out loud. But silently, I might think to myself, Ethan, what's the best way to solve this problem? One of the things that we find that that does is it helps give people the mental distance that can often be so helpful for thinking through problems clearly and objectively that we lack when we're in the midst of experiencing chatter. You know, I mentioned earlier the Solomon's paradox. We're much better at advising other people on their problems than we are ourselves. In essence, what this tool does, distant self-talk, is, is it plays on that idea and it allows us to think about ourselves more similar to how we think about others using our own name. Yeah, I love that idea. Um, so... Is there any particular language that you have found that helps beyond the one you've already just shared there? You know, you said, what's the best way to solve, you know, to think through this, but, but use your own name, right? So I would say, you know, Greg, you know, what's the best way to handle uh, the fact that you're feeling like you have too much to do today? It changes the way we think about um, problems that we we face. So when you put people in... In, in difficult situations, there are two ways of thinking about them. If you want to simplify things, you could think about these problems as a threat. So it, the way of thinking about a problem as a threat works is you, you, you plop a person in a situation. Typically what they do is they think, okay, what's required of me here? And do I possess the resources to handle this situation? If people ask themselves those two questions and they say, nope, can't handle this. <laughs> That's a threat. And the other way of answering that question is to do the same thing. Take stock of the situation. What resources do I possess? And then you come up with the idea, you know what? I can manage the situation. That's what we call a challenge interpretation. And, and one of the things we find is that when you try to work through your problems using your own name, it's almost like you, you become your own inner coach, if you will. You're coaching yourself through the problem, which in turn is allowing you to think about these difficult problems as challenges that you can actually manage. 
rather than threats that you can't. And that we find is really helpful, helpful for help for enabling people to control their emotions and perform more effectively under stress. Yeah, what it sounds like is that the Solomon's paradox um, grows out of the idea that because you're removed from the situation, you can see it with more perspective, you can see it more clearly, you can see more options of how you might handle it. And I think what you're saying is that this, um, this coaching yourself, the inner coach, is trying to create some space between you and the triggers, the emotional things that you're dealing with, the chatter, so that you can try to come at it with better perspective, a bit more space between you and it. Does that sound right? That's exactly right. And the reason it works is because when we become emotional and when we experience chatter, what ends up happening is we, we focus our attention very narrowly on the problem to the exclusion of everything else. So a little bit of space stepping back brings the fuller picture uh, in, into focus. This episode is sponsored by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. So whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person point-of-sale system, whenever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. So sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, which is your AI-powered all-star. In my experience with every business that I have built, including this podcast, there are breakthrough moments, and those moments are often the result of finding the right partner. And I think that's a way to think about Shopify, because no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash greg, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash greg now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash greg. So you've talked about tools for how to manage this on our own. Now, give me a, your, your favorite practical tool for how to manage chatter with other people? So with other people, um, one of the things we know is that when people are experiencing chatter, they, they often want to talk about it. Emotions serve like jet fuel that propel us to want to share them with other people. And the reason that is, is because we're looking for two things from other people. We want to get support and empathy. We want to know there are other people who care for us, but we also want advice. We also, we want other people to help, help give us that bigger picture. What's interesting though, is lots of people think that the key to getting chatter support 
is to just vent your feelings, just get it out, you know, just unload what happened and what you felt to, to a sympathetic ear. And, and, and that's actually in and of itself, that's not sufficient for getting support, right? I mean, for, for getting help, that is. When we share our emotions with others, that's certainly, and, and someone there is, someone's there to listen to us, that certainly gives us the, the, the sense that, oh, someone cares about us. But if we stop there, if we just keep talking about what happened and don't wait for that other person to give us the advice, then we don't feel better about our chatter. So when I look for other people for help, I think really deliberately about who I'm approaching for support. So who who is uniquely positioned to both give me the empathy that I crave, but also the perspective that I need to solve this problem, which I'm struggling with right now. Uh, what that ends up meaning is that if it's a problem at work, there is I have certain chatter advisors that I that I consult when it's it's chatter at work, but they're very different when when it's chatter in my relationship uh, at home or a problem I'm experiencing with my kids. Uh, it also means that I don't talk about my chatter with everyone in my social circle. There are lots of people who I'm very close to, who I care for and love deeply, who who aren't the best chatter advisors, who who actually in their attempts to make me feel better can, can actually sometimes make me feel worse because they don't provide me with the advice. And so I'm really careful who I select to speak with. Uh, how can you select someone who's really optimal at this? Well, I think, um, so what I do is I think to myself, when I've spoken to this person in the past, have they just been a shoulder to cry on or have they additionally been a shoulder to cry on and offered some perspective to help me work through the problem cognitively to make sense of the experience and i choose the latter the the reason why the shoulder to cry on in and of itself is insufficient is because if someone is just there to hear about what happened to us that ends up getting us to to rehash the, the negative feelings over and over again doesn't help us make sense of them. It doesn't help us edit that experience in ways that are useful for helping us find closure, uh, which allows us to move on. Okay. If I'm trying to help somebody else with their chatter, what do I need to do skill-wise to help with that? You need to learn about what happened so you want to you want to learn a little bit about what the problem is show show that you you care validate their experience help make it clear to the person that what they're going through is not is not unique which it often isn't and then once once you get the sense that the person feels like they are being supported and they've explained what happened fully then you want to start shifting to, to help them consider different ways of thinking about the experience, of putting it in perspective. Well, let's look at the big picture. You didn't get this, this, in, this job you interviewed for, but you've got six others lined up, um, giving them that kind of perspective. So, so starting off, learning about the situation, validating the person's experience. Of course, you know, it's natural to feel that way. Anyone in your situation would, and then getting them to really take that bigger 
picture perspective. Now, now there is a caveat here, which is some people you speak to, it may, it may take three minutes for them to feel supported and, and they'll, they're ready for the advice right off the bat. Other people, it may take a little bit longer before they're receptive to getting advice. And so there's an art to being a good chatter advisor. It's, it's not something that you can say, okay, 30 seconds, tell me what happened. And 90 seconds, we're going to be in advice mode. Each individual is unique. I think I'm trying to frame an opinion as a question here. Um, but I'm just curious about the role of deep empathic listening in this being a chatter advisor. I, I've spent more than 20 years really intensely interested in empathic listening, its power, its superpower, and its limits. Uh, and one of the okay. things I've come to the conclusion of is that for many people, they have never been deeply listened to. That very often, the listening that has been done for them is very surface. So it's like layer one, and they have 10 layers. And so people are giving advice at le level one, because that's as far as the conversation ever gets to. And so at least my interpretation of chatter is that a lot of the chatter that's going on inside of people is layer two, three, four through 10, and they never get to process it. Now, I don't mean literally everyone, but my experience is that when I have engaged in empathic listening and gone to level two and three and four, it's like real news. When people are speaking, the words that are coming out are new words that they have not put into actually voiced language before. And it's, it can be enormously liberating. Um, and I'm just curious about this in your, in your own experience in the lab, in your own research. You know, what is the role of this kind of empathic listening? Well, you know, I think, I think the one additional layer I would add to that is that there, you know, you, you're talking about layers one, two, three, four. There are also problems, problems one, two, three, four. Some problems, I think, don't require deep, deep empathic listening. Layers seven through 10, whatever the, the, the metric is. Um, you know, I think this is, a, this is where the, the artistry of, self, of, of social support comes into play. If the problem is, is, is sufficiently, is, is deeply significant, then I think the, the, the listening part takes more time and effort and, 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 and um, before you get to the advice giving. And sometimes, sure, talking about those experiences, the, to be clear, talk, talking about our emotions and having someone else to listen to us, that serves a function. Right, it makes us it makes us know there's someone else there who who cares about us, and and sometimes the process of just talking in and of itself helps us begin to create that narrative around our experience that can be so useful for moving on. Ch you know, when we're experiencing chatter, our, our thoughts are often disorganized; they're scattered. Our experiences don't have a beginning, a middle, and end. There's no story 
to, to, to what happened to us or what we're going through and creating that story can often be really, really helpful. I think that's what you mean when you say process. Um, so, so deep empathic listening is part of, is certainly part of it, but I think it can be, um, supercharged, optimized by bringing in also the, 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 the deliberate perspective broadening, uh, that you as a, as someone else, as an advisor to this individual who's coming to you for help are in a unique position to do. It doesn't have to be over the top. Like, let me tell you exactly the six things you need to do to work well with this, with this boss you have. Sometimes it can be as simple as nudging the person to consider different ways of thinking about the situation. Like they can do the work on their own. The issue is to get them to start broadening their view. So they're not super narrowly focused on the, the emotional and devastating parts of the experience that, that that's not the only thing they're hyper-focused on. There's a researcher, um, Barbara Fredrickson, uh, has research that says, I think it's called the broaden and build theory. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with this? Mm-hmm. I am. What she was effectively finding was that when people experience negative emotions, their sense of optionality really decreases, you know, that they, they feel, I mean, classic fight, flight, freeze, fall down. I mean, you just got these very few options. You feel you do. And so because you feel so limited, you are in a weakened position for whatever the next challenge is. And so in this way, you can become more and more stymied, more and more weakened, more and more isolated. Um, and again, at time of this conversation, I think there's lots of people who will feel that because of an increase of fear and uncertainty with everything to do with COVID and civil unrest and just sort of an, a, a sense of things that used to be dependable, not being dependable. This is sort of the the something I think many of us are familiar with that what she goes on to suggest with broaden and build is that the moment you have positive emotions, almost regardless of the cause of them, your sense of options increases. And because your sense of options increase, you, you realize, well, there's, I've, I could do different things here. I'm not so stuck. I could go in this direction or that direction. I could try uh, you know, try out something new. I could go and talk to somebody about this. You, you have a sense of broadening. And because you have an increased set of options, you're able to take action and actually develop your capability. And therefore, you are more prepared for the next big challenge. And, and I think that, I mean, you're, you're describing here, I think something similar to that, that someone else can play that role for you. That when you're starting to be narrowed, they can come in and say, well, remember, you have these options. Remember, you could do this, you could do that, and expand their set of options for them. Does that sound right? It does sound right. And, and, and there's, a, there's a paradox surrounding all of this, though, which is studies show that many people think so, – so, so let me back up, Greg. So you know, you've been doing deep listening – deep empathic listening, you said for 20 years, you are not the average, you're not the average individual. When we look at people by and large, a lot of people tend to think that the best way of helping others is to show them support, to show them that, that you care. So, 
it, they tend to uh, over-prioritize listening alone at the cost of also giving advice. So the advice piece tends to fall off. And so that's where I think there's a real opportunity here, which is to, um, to make clear that support is great, but it's only one half of the equation. We also need to provide that, that broadening that, that you just very eloquently described. What's surprising to me about what you're saying is, is that I tend to see that people are heavy on advice and on reading their autobiography into other people's lives. And, oh, let me tell you what I would do. And let me tell you. And so, so someone feels more alone in their internal chatter because they're not understood. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm saying that, um, I'm saying that you want to do both. You want to, the the sweet spot is both showing support and giving advice and not moving to advice until you know that the person you are talking to does feel, doesn't feel alone, feels like they have alliance with you, right? Once that condition is met, that's when you want to shift into helping them go broad, helping them get perspective. That doesn't mean that the, the, the best way to do so is to say, well, let me tell you, I've been through this and here's exactly what you should do, right? That kind of prescriptiveness can often be very alienating. I think there's a, a gentleness to this. Um, and, and that, again, is where the art comes in. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is something in the physical world that we can do to manage and take advantage of this internal chatter? So one thing we can do is we can we can seek out awe-inspiring experiences. Um, so so you know awe is an emotion, and it, it this segues back to some of the work that um, you mentioned with Barb. This isn't her research per se, but it's consistent with her theory. This. Awe is an emotion we experience when we're in the presence of something vast that's hard for us to understand. So some people experience it when they stare up at, at the sky and, and, and contemplate the number of stars in the universe. Like, my God, how many, how many planets are there out there? I, I don't know how to make sense of that. It's a billion trillion if, if you can contemplate <laughs> what that number is. Um, other people experience awe when they when they look at a, an amazing painting or watch their kids do something amazing. Uh, what happens when we experience awe is we basically um, experience something called a shrinking of the self. Right, our, our our perspective is so broadened, right, that we ourselves and our own concerns end up feeling a lot smaller by comparison. Right, so if I'm if I'm contemplating the universe. All right. Now, what about the, the 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 feelings of pain I felt when I was rejected on a job interview, or or when I was told a paper you know wasn't up to snuff, or my editor didn't like a draft of my book? That feels a whole lot less 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 big when we're thinking about these vast issues. And so, research shows that experiencing awe 
um, can be a powerful tool for for helping people manage their chatter. And so, uh, one easy way to do it is to go for a walk in 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 a natural setting. Uh, look up at trees that have been around for hundreds of years. Think about think about that. How they've managed to stick around through all the pandemic and 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 civil strife and everything else that's chatter provoking that you mentioned earlier. Um, uh, and of course, there are lots of lots of other means of of having that emotional experience, but that's one way people can harness their physical environment to, to regulate their chatter. I remember years ago I was teaching um, a class at a training center and I had just had sort of these small classes assigned to me, maybe 12 students. And we went on a walk one day out to um, mountains and it was really profound just to stand there and look at them and just the sense of still standing. Uh, you know, we come and go, but they're still standing. Uh, there's going to be ups and downs, uh, but they're still going to be here. Mm-hmm. And so I, I can definitely relate to, to what you're describing and just physically shifting to being outside alone, just even that shift, just go on a walk for a bit, see things beyond what you are immediately dealing with uh, that I think, again, can be perspective enhancing. Uh, and and that, I think, is, is what you're – I think that's maybe a golden thread running through this conversation and through the tools that you're recommending, whether they're uh, own tools or others or physical world, is its perspective shifting uh, so that you're – you're trying to create space between you and your chatter. Let me give you another fun one. So another tool uh, that, that involves the physical world um, it involves making order. So, you know, tidying up, organizing. When, when I was um, working on, on this book and I found myself experiencing chatter for any number of reasons, a looming deadline, a, a paragraph or a sentence that wasn't coming out like I liked, I would find myself oddly, because I'm not a particularly neat fellow, um, you know, arranging the books on my shelves and making sure the papers were, were aligned and so forth and so on. And um, essentially what I was doing is I was creating order in the world around me, in the spaces around me to compensate for the lack of order that I felt in my, in my head when my thoughts felt disorganized. And, and so that's another way that people can try to regain control of chatter is to organize their spaces uh, around them. Yeah, I think, I think that's one I think uh, I certainly can relate to. And, and I'm sure lots of listeners can as well, that, that if you tidy up the room you're in, just tidy up the desk, set a timer, 10 minutes, tidy up your physical surroundings. There is a signal from that to your internal voice that this is what we want. <laughs> this is what we're looking for. We want clarity in, outside of us. We want clarity inside of us. And I do think that there's a, there's a relationship there that's surprising in some ways that when there's external order, there can be internal burst of creativity. Um, and I'm not exactly sure why, but I've definitely experienced that myself. Um, Tell us, tell us, where can we find you? Uh, you know, people that want to know more, what should they do next? 
Well, you, you could find me at uh, ethancross.com. Uh, it's cross with a K. Um, you could learn about Chatter the book. It's coming out in January, January 26th. And on the website, there's lots of links to uh, the original research that goes into the book. So check it out. Dr. Ethan Cross, what a pleasure to have you come and talk to us about something that we've all experienced, this internal chatter, what we can do about it, specific tools to be able to manage it better. We're not going to get rid of it completely in our lives, so better to be able to know how to have it work for our good, not so much the chatter, but this ability to reflect uh, and how to be able to to do it in the three ways you've mentioned it. Very helpful. Uh, and I appreciate so much your time and being on the What's Essential podcast uh, with me today. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. Ladies and gentlemen, essentialists, one and all, we've come to that moment again, the end of the show. Thank you really sincerely for listening. It's been amazing to see what's happened already with this show. The show has become, in fact, the top 3% of podcasts globally within just the first five months of its launch. And that's because of you. You have made this special. And I want to end, as I always do, reminding you that if you don't do anything else, just ask what's essential and eliminate as much as possible everything else. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.